Well, good morning again. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Well, ladies, we're going to actually leave verse 18. And we're going to move to verse 19. Gotten a lot of requests from the wives. Long lists of issues to cover. Some of them are disturbing. <laughs> Deeply problematic. It's going to take a long time to cover this verse. Verse 19. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into our passage. Lord, we do love you. We thank you for your mercies. Thank you for forgiving us for the sins of our youth, and for the sins of yesterday and this morning and even right now. We're so grateful that you're so long-suffering. We would be lost without that generous attitude and attribute. We are grateful, Lord, that you... Forgive us for our sins of omission, for our sins of commission, for our wanderings, our strains, all of those things. Thank you for that great mercy. Thank you for so great a salvation. Lord, we reach into these passages that we have in Colossians and sometimes they're difficult and hard and challenging. Give us the grace that we need to get through them. Bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Illumine our hearts and minds. Help us to set aside the cares of the world. Help us to focus on this brief time together. Let us rejoice that we are known by you, kept by you, loved by you, preserved by you for all time, for your glory. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Colossians chapter 3. Again, it's so important that we have the foundation properly set beginning with verse 12 because everything that flows afterwards is built upon the ideas that Paul communicates as it relates to this new creational lifestyle that we have been called to. And this is really what this is about. Paul has set forth in in great detail what it means to be the redeemed of Christ, the salvation that is so great, the reconciliation, the transformation, the regeneration, the, 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 the victory that we have in Jesus. And so because of him, then we can live in a different way. And indeed, he himself equips us to do that very thing. The language that's used by Paul in the first part of chapter 3 speaks of clothes being specifically tailored and fitted to us in that new nature. We put that on. He puts it on for us. He prepares it. He gives it to us. He clothes us in that. This speaks to the union that we have with Christ. And because of that, then, we as the redeemed of Christ live differently. And that's so important for Christians to understand. One of the things that I'm concerned about today in the world is that Christians don't really live any differently than the rest of the world does. We We act like them, we talk like them, we dress like them, we sing like them, we do everything just like they do. But we smack Christian on it and then we think, oh, that's great, when it really isn't all that great. And so we want to make certain that we're understanding that what the Lord has for us in these very practical passages teases out the idea that Christians really are different. 
and different to God's glory and different to our benefit as well, living in the context of what God has ordained for us, both in terms of the church as well as in our homes, makes all the difference in the world and brings about glory to His name and ultimately to our benefit as well. These things are, are for us to uh, live in and to enjoy. So verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, men pay attention to the word beloved there because we're going to be seeing it again, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them or do not treat them harshly. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So here we have a transition that we're going to be making into verse 19, and um, just want to get there to it. And so the exhortation is, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Okay, verse 20 now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to get away with that one, am I? Yeah, nope. <laughs> We've got daggers being stared at me right now by half of you. <laughs> Some of you are saying, hey, wait, hang on, Pastor. Whoa, now. Get back into verse 19. Well, yes, verse 19. So here we have an important exhortation, men. And certainly, um, it's one that we need to be attentive to, one that is often missed and one that's often neglected to your detriment and to your wife's de detriment as well. And so Paul's exhortation again to the husbands is important as it was to the wives. He is encouraging the husbands to do something, to take action, to be engaged in the relationship. And the predicate for this, of course, is the love that Christ has for his church. And this all grows out of that in terms of Paul's instruction here to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So remaining within this um, uh, within uh, the, the transition to uh, the obligations and duties of the husband in the home, Paul, of course, makes this important instruction to the husband. Paul shifts his focus to husbands who are to love their wives. So Paul here is not imposing some arbitrary expectations for those who join the Christian club, so to speak, something that is difficult or perhaps uh, unappealing in some ways, but rather to demonstrate the reality of this new creational lifestyle that we have in Jesus Christ. What he's saying then to the husband, as we'll see as we unpackage this, and it's going to take us a while, ladies, it will probably take as long as it did for you with the men, so don't be concerned too much about that. There'll be plenty of time to elbow uh, over the next several weeks. So Paul here is teaching that love ultimately is the natural extension of what a husband has become in Christ. 
So it's a positive injunction, if you will. It's an exhortation that grows out of a reality related to a new heart. One who has been saved, one who has been redeemed by Christ. The natural consequences of that would then be for a husband to do that which would naturally flow out of that, that is to love his wife. And the whole predicate for that, of course, is because Christ's love for his church, as we're going to see as we expand our examination of this topic into other passages, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Ephesians chapter 5, of course, and some other passages as well. So just as Christ loved the church, um, and as he has loved the husband himself in terms of saving him, he's not been harsh in his dealings with these men, So his love and gentleness flows over into the way they then treat their wives. And I think, men, that's that's important for you to remember. One of the things that Paul is doing is 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 to use the argument, as we'll see, that Christ loved you, he saved you, he redeemed you. Paul reaching back into the language and the ideas communicated in verses 12 and, and so on, that as an expression of the reality of that, your thankfulness of that, your, your communication of the reality of that in your life is to love your wife, to love your wife. Now, of course, it would make sense then that you would want to love your wife. Christ loves the church. There's a picture that's drawn between those types of relationships in terms of comparison. But certainly a husband that is loving is more easily to submit to from the standpoint of the wife. Uh, If a wife's calling is to submit to her husband's leadership and to honor him, the husband's calling is to what? Lead in a way that makes it easy for her to follow. And in fact, Paul would make a very practical exhortation here as it relates to the dynamic of the relationship in the latter part of verse 19. Do not be embittered against them. Love your wife and do not be embittered against them. Don't be harsh. Don't be heavy-handed. And we'll certainly be talking more about that. As we know, men have covenantal authority over their wives, and this authority comes from God. And just as authority over the church is performed in a loving manner, so to the husband with his wife. The idea, of course, is to not be heavy-handed. And what's interesting, too, is that what Paul is doing is contrasting what would have been the norm of that day. Back in that time frame, um, the, the relationship between a husband and a wife was um, fairly harsh. There, the idea of loving a wife was somewhat foreign. You had a system set up that was, uh, uh, that was a harsh patriarchy, if you will. Not that there's anything wrong with a patriarchy-type setup. I think the Scripture speaks to that and uses that in terms of the dynamics that we have there. But certainly women were not treated with the level of respect and love that Paul would be calling these men to love their wives. And so this is, in the cultural context, a very foreign concept, bearing in mind that these are men and women who have been saved, they've been redeemed, coming out of a culture, being saved out of a culture and practices where this level of commitment and love and trust and enjoyment of each other was really foreign to what was known to be common within the culture as it relates to a a relationship like this. And so for Paul, it it is the idea of God, who by his redeeming work in Christ, inclines men to take 
and humility a role with their wives that reflects the role that Christ has with his church. And as a consequence of that, as a man demonstrates the reality of his love for his wife, it makes it easier for the wife to come alongside him and to do what she is called to do as well. In many ways, it's, it's, it's working together in that way, and, and we want to make certain that we're understanding that. And so significantly for Paul, he uses a single word here, love. Love. So we look at verse 18, or rather, rather 19, husbands, love your wives. This word love is important. The word agape is being used here by Paul to capture the sum and substance of a husband's relationship with his wife. And so the key to authenticity in one's relationship with his wife is a love flowing out of a vital relationship with God through Christ that not only provides the pattern for all our relationships, but the power to live them out. And so for Paul, again, a man who is redeemed, a man who belongs to Christ, is going to have the ability the innate ability, the new heart ability to do something that God calls him to do, and that is to love his wife. You know, for Paul, um, he wants to make certain that um, this idea of being a Christian is demonstrated in real time. This is not a laboratory setting. He's speaking to people who are in homes. He understands that they probably have certain unique challenges Having difficulties in marriages is not something that's unique to just us. We know through history that there have been unique challenges that have faced marriages throughout the centuries. And so Paul would understand writing this, that there would be certain situations in which perhaps the husband wasn't loving his wife, and the wife wasn't submitting, and children weren't being obedient, and there are all kinds of different problems. And so Paul here, writing very practically, speaks to the transformation that occurs when God saves someone that reaches into the very essence of who they are and changes the way they treat other people, and in particular the way a husband would treat his wife his wife. So here Paul is, of course, speaking directly to husbands. The language here communicates to us that the focus is narrowly on husbands, husbands, as it was in verse 18 with the wife. Um, indeed, he uses a definite article to even set them apart as a distinct class of men or a group of people focused in terms of this application for this verse. Um, and so it's a direct address. It's not kind of just a generalized statement. He is honing in directly on a particular group of people, the husbands. And so men, if you're a husband, listen up. And if you're not, you're going to be perhaps someday, if the Lord wills, to so listen up too in that context. So there are two requirements that are laid upon the husbands. We've talked about them briefly. First is to love their wives. And it's interesting that in the language that Paul uses here in this particular passage, he uses the present imperative, which means this, that this act of loving is habitual and regular. It's habitual and regular. And so grammatically, as it was for the wife, we have found the same grammatical structure that idea of submission was to be habitual and regular, so too for the husband then, his love for his wife is to be habitual and regular. 
This means that there ought to be a repeated engaging in this act of love, which it is in many respects. And it's borne out by a variety of different attitudes and actions that the husband takes towards his wife, which we'll speak to in greater detail as we get into this passage. And so the language is important. The word that he uses is important. We're going to unpackage the word love here momentarily to see exactly what that idea incorporates. But the important point to take away initially from looking at the verse from a grammatical standpoint is the idea that this love demands action that is habitual and regular. And you're to keep on keeping on loving your wife in that context too. Every day, in every way, continue to do that. So... um, It has significant meaning for a believer. The word love carries with it the idea of sacrifice, of surrender, of protection, of generosity, of gentleness, of all those types of ideas. And certainly what we find then is that the manner in which a husband loves his wife is the manner in which Christ has loved the church. Christ did what for the church? Well, he lived selflessly for the church, did he not? He he did everything that he could to bring the church to himself in the context of all of his actions and his attitudes and, and the things that he would do to accomplish the salvation of the elect. Well, as Christ lived selflessly for the church, so too should husbands live that way for their wives, selflessly. The picture and the model that we have from Scripture is the idea that husbands are to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. And we'll talk more about that as we get into Ephesians chapter 5. It's interesting to note as well that um, the only other place that this particular verb is used in Colossians as it relates to the idea of love is in description of God's love towards us in verse 12. So look at verse 12. I told you we were going to get back into that language. Verse 12, Paul says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. And again, so this language is important for Paul, and it carries with it a great idea as it relates to the relationship between the husband and the wife. In light of this divine love set upon us, we are to put on love towards one another. Verse 14, so again, Paul continues to build on the argument that he makes, the exhortations that he makes in the earlier verses of this particular chapter. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Again, that same type of word, that same type of idea being expressed and incorporated into this particular passage for the husband's. So what what do we know then about this word love? What do we understand it? Well, it's uniquely Christian in its content. This is not the type of love that the world demonstrates. This is the type of love that is uniquely Christian. This is why the word agape is used, because it carries with it an idea that is foreign to what the world typically connects with the idea of love. You know, we can talk about Uh, brotherly love. We can talk about erotic love. But this love is a a love that is uniquely Christian. And so, men, what we're doing is demonstrating something that is uniquely our ability to express 
as the redeemed of Christ. It is uniquely Christian. And in Ephesians chapter 5, let's go there at this point and look at some of the exhortations that Paul has for us in Ephesians on this issue to kind of begin to unpackage and illuminate what we have. And so again, again, this is the new creational lifestyle. Wives are to submit to their husbands, and, and Paul sets that up. We've talked about it at length, and now the husbands are to love their wives Obviously, the two working together in that way make both easier in regards to um, that relationship. But here in Ephesians chapter 5, we find the following. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we're beginning to get the sense that this love incorporates into it the idea of sacrifice. Sacrifice. So men, you need to begin thinking that way when we talk about the issue of loving your wife. The, one of the baseline um, issues related to this idea of loving your wife is to do so in a sacrificial way. In a sacrificial way. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So there's a call order, tall order here for husbands, and there's a lot being said um, as it relates to this particular issue. This, this love that we're talking about has uniquely Christian content, as we see in this parallel passage, where Christ's love for the church is the standard of measure for the husband's love of his wife. You have a tall order, guys, as it relates to this particular issue. Um, And so what we find then is that being loved precedes and enables being loving as it relates to the relationship between a husband and a wife. And this love, having been applied to relationships more generally in verse 14, is now made specific to the relationship of a husband towards his wife. So for Paul, a man who professes to know Jesus Christ and claims to be the redeemed of Christ and is not loving his wife, is outside of the will of God, is not doing what a Christian man is called to do. And this, of course, is a problem, because in today's culture, in today's world, the idea of loving a wife in this manner is not looked upon in a pleasing way. Men are taught to be kind of autonomous and rugged, I guess, in some contexts, although even that's in question at times. But this is certainly not the standard that the world is holding men to. 
Um, the idea of the kind of playboy mentality, wandering around, doing whatever you want, however you want, is, seems to be the ideal in many respects, as opposed to someone who is sacrificially loving his wife. The idea then, of course, incorporates the, uh, the, the concepts of treating a wife compassionately, kindly, with dignity, and to enjoy the wife as well as part of this loving relationship. I think in Ecclesiastes 9.9 it says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. And so if there's any, any pleasure in this life, if there's any, any contentment in life, in this vain life, at least enjoy the wife that you've been given. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, is what Solomon would say. And so again, this exhortation carries with the idea that there is a joy that comes out of this type of sacrificial love as it relates to the husband and the wife. Well, Paul wants to make certain, too, that we want to, we want to capture the essence of the idea of the word love that he uses here. So I noted that the word that we find here in verse 18, if you want to turn back to Colossians, we're going to go back to Ephesians in due, t- in due course. But in verse 19, we find that husbands are to love your wives, and the word love here again is agape. And it's used here in the New Testament and has multiple application in terms of the content of its meaning. So when we talk about the idea of love, what does it incorporate? Well, first, there's a direct correlation between love and a willingness to forgive. A willingness to forgive. So when we look at this, and you ponder to yourself, how can I love my wife in this way? Now keep in mind, too, that the parallel that we're drawing is between Christ's love for the church and the manner in which a husband loves his wife in the context of it being similar. What did Christ do with the church in his love? He did what? He forgave them. He forgives. And so the idea of love carries with it the idea of forgiveness, a willingness to forgive, which speaks to the idea, too, of the later exhortation in the balance of verse 19 where Paul says, don't be embittered against them. Obviously, if you're loving them, it's going to be hard to be embittered or to be harsh. You can't have both. They're not going to work. Or oil and water. A husband can't be harsh and loving at the same time. He can be firm. There's a difference, and I think oftentimes we confuse firmness with harshness at times. We live in such a sensitive culture that anybody who has any sense of conviction is considered to be harsh and is to be excluded. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is a a brashness, a, a harshness, a bitterness that's driven by a lack of love. And so what we then understand, men, from love, from the word that Paul uses here for love and that's used in the Scripture itself, is it incorporates a willingness to forgive. Let's think about that for a minute. It's not just forgiving, it's a willingness to forgive. Now, what's interesting to me is this. Incorporated into that very idea, then, is what we have already spoken of with regard to verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. So what's interesting for me is that Paul is simply taking the dynamics, these virtues that are present in the first portion of this segment of chapter 3, and he's making a more direct application in the context of the marriage on the basis of the foundation of love. Why do I forbear and forgive 
in verse 13. I do it because of verse 13, or 14 rather, because of that bond of unity and love. So too a husband will demonstrate that with his wife. You don't get to carry grudges, guys. You don't get to wake up in the morning and be mad about what happened last night. The idea of forbearance and forgiveness, the church has got to get its arms around this. And you've got to get your head around it in the context of your relationship. We carry way too many grudges. We we keep, keep way too many lists for way too long about things that really don't even matter. I mean, half the time you even forget about what you're mad about. But you just want to be mad, so you're going to be mad. That's the way it works. Well, I'm sure she did something. I'll be mad about that. No. So, so guys, so think about it. These words are important. You know, we got to pay attention to the words. So the idea of love, and again, I want you to keep thinking, men, all the time, how did Christ love the church? So guys, whenever you're thinking about how you are to be loving your wife, what I want you to do is to correlate that with the manner in which Christ has loved you and how he has loved the church. Is Christ long-suffering with you, men? Is he? Yes, he better be. Or you're cooked. So, so right out of the gate, you're going to, so all the time when we're talking about this, I, I don't want you to set it to some kind of lofty, kind of unattainable idea. No, we're looking at the idea that I'm going to love my wife in the same manner in which Christ has loved his church. And so as I begin to unpackage the word love, I understand that love incorporates the idea of forgiveness. Um. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's just so critical. We, we, we spend, so verse 13, our lives would be so much easier if we could live in the context of verse 13. I almost feel like I had to go back and preach it again because it bears repeating and it's certainly applicable within the home. It, if, if anywhere, it ought to be very evident in the home. But for some reason, it's not. There, there is very little forbearance in relationships in the home, it seems. There seems to be a tendency, it seems almost like the default, rather, is to not forbear. To not forgive. Do you understand that as a Christian, your, your immediate response in the context of a perceived slight or a real one is to forbear and to forgive? Why? Because that's what Christ did for you. So in the context of your home, that is also to be the application, men. And you set the tone. You're the barometer. Not of normality, but of other things. And so when it comes to this, if dad's walking around mad, if dad's kicking the cat, and he's slamming the door, and he's always on edge, that's how the rest of the house is going to be. If you're not forgiving, heavy-handed, bickering, fighting, arguing, demanding. That's not the model. That's not how Christ has treated the church. That's not what Christ has done with you. Aren't you glad that every morning you wake up that God doesn't treat you like you've been treating your wife for the past week? 
No, man. There's a willingness to forgive. There's a willingness to forbear. It is the natural inclination. And of course, this goes to the other issue. You're not doing it just because you're told to do it. You're doing it because you love her. I mean, let's not forget she's your lover. She's your friend. I think in the church we forget that idea. This, this woman agreed to marry you for Pete's sake. I, I mean, all the things that she gave up to be with you. We'll talk more about bathing and brushing teeth later, but, uh, you know, that goes a long way too, guys. And, you know, you know a little old spice never hurt anybody, you know. So, again, this is your girlfriend we're talking about. This is, this is your sweetheart. I don't want you guys to forget about that. I, I, we, don't, we don't have to remove ourselves from that. Paul uses very vivid language in Corinthians. We've got other passages in Scripture. We have this expression of this, this romantic, beautiful love that exists between a husband and, a, a husband and wife in Scripture. We the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, that, some of those things could be carried too far, as it recently was by some goofballs at Together for the Gospel, or whatever that's called. Gospel Coalition went way too far. But there is an expression here in Scripture about the idea that we're talking about a, 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 a relationship that is unique between a husband and a wife, that is familiar and, and intimate, and, and something that is to be enjoyed between each other. And so in the context of that, that love that we have for that other person, we ought to do what that type of relation should naturally give itself to, and that is to forgive, especially as the redeemed of Christ. Especially as you reflect on the fact that Christ has loved the church in the way that he has, and that he forgives, and that he's long-suffering, and that he's willing to forgive, and that he always forgives. He never doesn't forgive. Do you ever think about that? He, ever, he never does not forgive you? Ever. When was the last time that you prayed and asked for forgiveness and, and it was a no? Not that you would hear that audibly, but if you're reading the Bible, you understand that he always forgives. And so too, when we use the idea of love, it incorporates, first and most importantly, the idea of forgiveness, which incorporates this new creational lifestyle that we find in verse 13 with forbearance and forgiveness, which is held together in verse 14 by the unity of the bond of love. So, so we have that. So that's the first thing that this word love teaches us men, all right? Secondly, what else does love cause us to do? What else would love, what did, what did love cause Christ to do? Well, to give himself for others to the point of death. And so too a husband would do the same. The picture in Scripture of the husband is one who is prepared to give himself over in that way. To not assert himself, but to protect and to sacrifice, to protect others by sacrificing himself. So what we then understand then is that this type of love, when we talk of the issue of agape love in the context of the redeemed of Christ, it causes one to give himself for others to even the point of death. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? Right. He, he sacrificed. He loved the world in this way, is how that verse actually reads. 
It was in this way that God loved the world. He sacrificed his son. He gave his son. And so for a husband, then he gives himself sacrificially to his wife in an act of love. You want to know how it looks to love your wife? You got two things now to work on, to forgive and to sacrifice, to give himself. This love then is a selfless love, promotes others above yourself, in particular your wife. Now, what's interesting, guys, now think about this for a minute. What you're going to begin to see and understand is that the focus of Scripture, the primary relationship is the husband and the wife. It's not the husband and the son. It's not the wife and the daughters. It's not the kids. All right? So let's just take a step back for a minute. Probably should have done this first. The primary relationship that is the focus of Scripture as it relates to the home, is between the husband and the wife, not the husband, wife, and children. I'm going to tell you, you get that backwards, you get that upside down, it causes a lot of problems in a marriage. Children are important. I love my kids to death. I do anything in the world for them. I love to spend time with them. But she's my wife. She's my girlfriend. She's my lover. She's the one that God gave to me to specifically take care of. Now, he gave me my children too, but my primary relationship in the eyes of God is with her first always. 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 If your kids are keeping you from dating your wife, then you're too busy with your kids. You need to date your wife, you need to take her to dinner, take her out, do fun things with her. If that means that you don't make a practice or a game or something else, you just don't make it. She comes first. This has been flipped. Too many homes are being governed by the children and what the children need and what the children want and what we must do for the children. Well, what about your wife? When was the last time you made the level of sacrifice that you make for your children for your wife? That becomes a massive problem. And when we talk about love in the context of this issue, we begin to see that the primary focus of the husband's relationship in the home is with his wife. Now, I will tell you this, flowing out of that then is a healthy relationship with the children. The children will respect you if you love your wife. They see dad loving mom, they like that. They remember that mom, that dad took mom on dates. That dad took the time to make certain that mom had time to herself and was with her and did things for her. They traveled together, they did certain things. Now you can still do things as a family, but at the same time, you need to make certain that your wife is a priority because the church is a priority to Christ and in the model of that, your wife is a priority to you. Stop sacrificing the relationship of your wife on the altar of your children. Because that's what's happening way, way too often. Way too often. It's interesting that in the context of children, for Paul, he's just concerned about whether they're obedient or not. 
But he wants to make certain that in the, in the context of the home, the primary relationship is the focus and the husband is to love the wife. So we have the picture of love. It's the baseline predicate. So we're talking about the idea that it, love incorporates the idea of a willingness to forgive, sacrifice of himself, making certain that things are taken care of, provided for. Uh, we're going to have a whole lot to say about work. Uh, I mean, good night. Don't get me started on that. Man, there's a whole lot to say about that. So we have this issue of, of this, this sacrificial giving over of himself. Again, the model being Christ and the church. Also then, what about this love? In, the con- in, in terms of its like, like substance, what is it? It's not, this is what we do we understand that about the word love. It's permanent. It's permanent. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. All right? So I have that. And I, in that picture, then, I have that same application being made for my love for my wife. It is permanent. Christ loves the church permanently. He, the Christ, Christ loves the church every single day of the week, every second of every day. He's never stopped. It's a permanent love. It's not transient. Too many men are transient lovers. You can say a whole lot about that, I guess. But nonetheless, this is a permanent love. This is exactly the same way that Christ loves the church. So men, in, the terms, in terms of the usage of this word love here, you are to love your wife in a manner that is not transient and changeable, but permanent. So what this also means is this. It's not fickle. It's not conditional. It's not, you do this for me. It's not quid pro quo. You do this for me and I'll love you. Oh, we play that game all the time. We're always imposing conditions. We're always engaging in that type of chicanery. And men are horrible at that. You know, pouting, playing the pity game, all that nonsense. No, no. You've got to have a love that's permanent in nature, not transient, not changeable, not conditional. Aren't you glad that Christ doesn't love you that way? How would that feel? Oh, you wouldn't like it one bit. No. It's permanent. It, so, what's, so what's permanent? Well, permanent endures, right? It endures through the different trials and challenges that are attendant with just life in general. It gets through the hard times. It enjoys the good times. But it's always there. It's always permanent. It's not changeable. If anything, if it's changeable, it's changing in its strength and its appreciation and its depth. But it's certainly not becoming less than that. And finally, a fourth aspect of love, and we'll conclude on this, is that it shows itself in mercy. It shows itself in mercy. God was merciful to us while we were yet sinners, Ephesians 2.4. The idea of mercy being extended, this plays into the idea of forgiveness and forbearance. And so a husband is to be merciful with his wife. To not keep accounts and records and grudges 
but to love her in a merciful way. This goes to the idea of not being embittered or harsh, as we see at the latter part. You'll understand then that the idea of embitterment incorporates into it all the opposites of the things that we're talking about. Harshness is the opposite of love. Isn't that interesting? Verse 19, you look at verse 19, you've got two things, two injunctions, love and don't be embittered, but they're the polar opposites. You can't be embittered and harsh and be loving. So if you're loving, it's going to naturally exclude the embittered part. It kind of self-fulfills. And so this is what Paul calls us to. And of course, love also causes us to act more like the Lord in our relationship with our wife. I'm not saying, guys, that any of this is easy to do. I need Christ every day to do these things. You do as well. We rejoice in the fact that we can rest in the finished work of Christ, but we also rejoice that he equips us and instills within us his spirit to accomplish these things to which he has called us. Remember, back in chapter 3, verse 8, or verse 9 and 10, you've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And so, again, this new creational lifestyle... So if you want the baseline, the reason that this is happening is because of verse 10. Verse 10 creates a new person who then is able to do the things that are, they're called to, to forbear, forgive, have the love of the bond of unity of love. A wife can submit to her husband. A husband can love his wife in the way that Christ has loved the church. So again, this is what Christian men do. You want something to do? I've just given it to you. People like lists, okay? You've got a list. You now know what the word love means. And so this week, what you're going to end up doing is demonstrating the reality of that by being forgiving, by being sacrificial, by being consistent in your love, by being merciful, and by, by demonstrating the reality of the Lord in your life by doing those things. Buying through the power of the Holy Spirit. What this means is this then. When I take all of those together, when I take those four things together, what I'm finding then in verse 19 is that this type of love that Paul speaks of is tangible. It's real. It's, it's demonstrable. It's evident. It will be evident to your wife and to others around you. A husband who loves his wife this way will be known to be the man who loves his wife because it will be seen. Now, I'm going to submit to you that a lot of times it isn't that way, that that's not how men are known in the context of how their relationships with their wives are. All too often, it's kind of one of these things. Did you, did you hear that? Did you see that? Did you get a load of that? Can you imagine no. So these are the tangibles. These are things that are seen. She'll know it. A wife who's being loved this way will know it, and she'll like that. You want things to perk up at home, guys? Yeah, try this. And bathe. <laughs> so husbands who love their wives will always be ready to forgive them to give themselves for them, to be steady and unchangeable in their love, to show mercy towards them, 
and ultimately to even train them in the Word, as Paul would say in Ephesians 5, that, 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 that exhortation that comes out of a godly man's heart who is given over to the Lord and wants to share the things of the Lord with his wife. So, there you have it, guys, is the baseline. So, we're going to build on that. So, and, and, we're, and again, we're, we're going we're gonna to reach back into Genesis a little bit too, like we did with the women, because there's a lot to be said about that, the creation mandate for a man. To be, to be a masculine man, to live in the context of your masculinity and loving your wife. What does that look like? We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and find out what that dynamic is all about and unpackage some things out of Ephesians chapter 5 as well. And so guys, think about this in terms of what it means to love your wife. And as I said, what I want you to do is when you think about it, I want you to think about the manner in which Christ has loved and is loving his church. That's your standard. That's your standard. And I trust that the Lord will work in your heart, and we all need improvement in this area, and we need to work harder at it, and being, being mindful of the fact that we have been equipped to do it. God is not calling you to the impossible. He's not calling you to the impossible. And in fact, what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is working in you to continue to renew you, as Paul says in verse 10, to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. God's work is still going on in you. He's still equipping you. He's still making you, informing you, and fashioning into you into the godly man that he intends for you to be. So we'll leave it off there, and we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, with more explanation of this particular passage and these other passages as well. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your time and the word today. Thank you for this challenging exhortation. Forgive us for not loving our wives as we ought to. Help us to do better. Help us to be attentive to what this word love means. May our love be tangible. May it be real, a demonstration of the way in which, like you love the church. Lord, help us to um, marvel at the wonder of the dynamic of the relationship that you've created for a husband and a wife. And thank you for that, uh, the beauty of it. And and all that it means for us. Thank you for allowing us to have these relationships, and may you be honored in how we live and and love each other in that way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.